different uh, this morning. It's our Serve in the Community Sunday. And uh, this was a kind of brainchild that we had, thinking wouldn't it be nice to, uh, to update on some of the things that we're doing to serve the community, and then to invite some of the people whom we are serving or who we serve with to come up and just share a little bit about uh, what we're doing, what they're doing. So uh, I hope you've uh, been given out one of these updates uh, of our kind of Super 6 events. This is uh, an updated version of how some of these serving the community events are getting on. And if you read nothing else, do read the red parts, uh, which are probably the, the, key, uh, the key lines in terms of where we're up to with them. So as we go through, uh, there are six kind of uh, things that we're going for, six events, if you like, six areas of ministry, and they're all updated in here. And you can be reading them uh, as we're kind of going through this morning. So we're going to have six kind of different interview slots. Uh, I'm not going to preach this morning. Uh, no round of applause, please. Um, and so uh, we've got about, you know, three, four, five minutes uh, for each person that comes up. I'm going to do four interviews. Sarah's going to do two interviews. And uh, hopefully uh, through it, you'll uh, get to hear a little bit about some of the things that are going on. And we'll get to learn a bit more as a church about some... Uh, uh, some of the things that we're involved in and some of the things that other people are involved in in terms of serving the community. So that's how it's going to work. Is everybody all right with that? Yeah. Beautiful. So we're going to start off, and uh, I'm very pleased to say that Nick O'Flynn from Oxted School is here. So Nick's going to come up. Uh, let's give him a warm round of applause, shall we? Very good. Okay, so uh, I've got a few questions, uh, but Nick can kind of go where he wants. So Nick, tell us who you are and your position here in the school. That would um, be really helpful. Obviously, um, deputy head at Oxted School. My job is in charge of the curriculum, uh, which is basically saying what gets taught. I also do the timetable, which is um, saying when it gets taught and who teaches it. Um, I'm in charge of outcomes in terms of, uh, that sounds very grand, uh, but I basically monitor the progress of students across the school. Uh, and I'm also responsible or overseer for exams, science, humanities, and PE, and one or two other things as well, but they're the main jobs that I wow. do. Wow, okay. Mm. No pressure on any of that, eh? So, right in the middle of exam season as well. That's why. That's why. Yeah. Right. It's June, but August is coming. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. Uh, You mentioned earlier to me something about the hub, uh, the kind of Christian union that we run here. Do you want to say a few word, yeah, um, words about that? One of the things that, I mean, the hub is very important to our school in terms of one of the things that I don't know if you realise, I mean, my job is curriculum, and the curriculum often seems to be like maths, English, geography, and all that. But actually, as a school, and all schools have a duty to promote uh, spiritual values, and actually we are inspected by Ofsted when they come in, and it's one of the things they look for. And, and to promote those and to develop those isn't just a question of just having RE, that, you know, ticking a box doesn't do it. And so something like the Christian Hub, which allows students to come together to explore their, their, their beliefs, to develop their spiritual understanding, is something which we as a school, you know, thinks is of great benefit to our school community. So, yeah. 
Great, fantastic. Nick, uh, not long ago, I think the Senko coordinator asked whether we would be able to send some teams in for the church to help with some reading and writing with years seven and eight. I think we were due to go. There was a team ready to start, but unfortunately, due to some staff sicknesses and changes, yeah, it yeah. won't be able to begin until next term. But maybe just explain to people, you know, to the church and to those teams going in, how those, uh, those teams going in, helping those youngsters to read and that would be able to uh, help them. Well... You know, unfortunately, I mean, ours is a very big school, over 2,000 students, and there is every year a significant minority who have very, very limited reading ability. And, um, you know, maybe from family backgrounds where reading isn't the norm or their peers don't read, you know, it's all computer games and TV. And when they come to school, they, they, even in the early days, they cannot access the curriculum. And that's... It's bad enough in the early days, but as they go through, if you can't read, people think, oh, well, that's going to be bad for English, but it's bad for history, it's bad for, Mm -hmm. you know, all subjects. You know, later on, one of the biggest problems that mathematicians have is not the problems, it's the English and the questions that they're asked. The students can't read them. And so if students can't read, they'll start to drift away from the rest of the school and can't keep up with curriculum. And that causes many problems. Not that those students get disaffected, they become isolated, and it leads to behavioural issues. So having people there reading with them one-to-one not only develops their ability to read, but it also shows them that you know, reading is something that their peers do, that is an enjoyable thing. So it's a really, really important thing for us to get that done. Great. Nick, we, uh, you know, we appreciate what you do as a school um, here. I've had three children go through the school. Uh, my youngest just finishing this year. So we appreciate, and, and I think, you know, like being England football manager, everyone can look on and say, oh, they should be doing this, they should be yeah, doing yeah. that. <laughs> Try and do the job yourself. So we do appreciate that, and we really do have a heart to support and serve the school as individuals, but as a church. Is there anything else that you think that we could do to help support? Uh, I have a wish list. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh. Uh, Ice cream, yeah. holidays to Barbados, no, I understand. <laughs> A um, couple of things that we thought you know, would be useful is, uh, firstly, uh, careers is a very big aspect of the school, and there's a sub- couple of ways that we feel as a church you could help us out on from a careers point of view. Um, the years 10 and year 12 have work experience, and we are always looking for good opportunities for them to go in terms of work placement. Mm. So if any of those exist, you know, you're able to provide those, that's brilliant, because, you know, they are difficult to get hold of sometimes, and certainly ones in the local community are, are hard to find. Another area linked to that is um, we have this thing now every Friday where ex-students, but it doesn't just have to be ex-students, uh, come into school, and it's called Future Friday. And again, it's linked to careers because it's about people coming and sharing their experience about their job, what they've done, and how they got there, and what the skills they need to, or what they've you know, got to succeed in their job. So again, if anybody wants to volunteer and come in, explain about their job, how they got there, you know, what were the career advice they could give to our students, again, that's really, really useful. And the third thing, which I'm afraid is a bit materialistic, is um, any old laptops or tablets is always. There may be, you know, uh, you know, I have various old laptops and tablets that you know you sort of like, you know, constantly renewing in this day and age. Um, but if you, any of those that you've got spare, we can find them. We can, you know. Our IT team can sort of clean them up and reboot them, and they're really, really useful for us. Fantastic. Well, great. Listen, Nick, thank you so much for coming. Thank you for all that you and your team and staff and colleagues do in the school. We know how important it is to educate youngsters. We know it's a difficult job. Uh, So really, we just wanted to say well done. Thank you. Thanks for taking the time to update us. And I'm sure if there are any of those things that you've mentioned that we can do, we'll...
we'll do them. Why don't we give Nick a round of applause, shall we? Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thank you, Thank you Nick. Very good. Okay, uh, let's move on to the second one of our uh, Super Six. So that was Oxted School, which was about refugees. Now, is Josie here or Izzy here or both? Is it one, two? It's just Josie. All right. Great. Okay, let's give Josie a round of applause, shall we? Uh... So I think um, that you'll be uh, you know, aware that we're looking to partner with Tangeridge District Council about... Um, uh, to support uh, some refugees coming over from Syria. And uh, we were in contact with uh, the council just last week. Uh, they're still very excited, supportive, got things in place, but the one big issue is still a property, an accommodation. Uh, Two-bedroom flat, small three-bedroom house that somebody will rent. Not so much the finances uh, that are needed for that, it's really the suitable property and a landlord who will be happy uh, to have some refugees uh, in there. So that is still the big kind of need and prayer point. Um, but I just wanted Josie really to come up, and I, I put a question here which was uh, about why do you think we as a community in Tandridge should welcome refugees from other nations? So Josie, you could answer that question or you could come up with a better one and then answer it yourself. So nice. you, you just go with what you're fancy. Pretty good question. Mm, um, good. I'm not sure if there's the one direct answer, but as I was thinking about the answer, I just was thinking kind of what it means, what community is, all those things. And it's for me, it's that, that moment where we open the door and either like walk out and engage with what's happening around us, or equally open the door and invite in and have that kind of community thing happening, you know, around the dinner table. Those kind of things, to me, that's, that's what I think of when I'm thinking about community. So for me, inviting refugees in when we can is a reflection of community at work, is what it really means when it comes down to it. And uh, not like trying to make a political statement or any open door type thing, don't read into that. Um, <laughs> it's just, it really gets to the heart for me about what it means to be welcoming and um, working well as a community together. Yeah. Fantastic. In terms of um, the Syrian uh, resettlement program, what do you see as the next steps, assuming we can get a a suitable property, what will we as a church need to be able to provide, do, do you see? I think it will really need to engage with what, like who, who turns up. It's, you know, we talk, it's really easy to talk about the refugees, the Syrians, but their families, just like us, we, they look different, just like all the, our different families in this room look different. So whether that's um, the people in the family, maybe their English will need some help, so people just to have conversations. Um, just navigating around English culture, around Morrison's. I found Morrison's quite mm. terrifying when it's busy, so you know, it's just someone to go do the shopping. Um, mm. It will look really practical and um, really tailored to what that family will come, come with and who they are. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. And just a word, because I mentioned Izzy, some people might say, mm. well, I was down mentioning Izzy, just give us a what she's been doing and, and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I can say anything. This is why she should turn up. Uh, no, she... <laughs> Drop her right uh, She got back this morning from being in Germany for a few days um, where there's lots of amazing things happening with YWAM and churches uh, reaching, you know, the large population of, um, of refugees there. But before that, she's, just, she's been in Jordan 
and uh, learning Arabic and just getting stuck in and um, seeing what it's like being in the Middle East. So definitely when, she, when you see her around, grab her and ask her about it. She, um, she's amazing and just talking to her, I think you'll, you'll really enjoy it. So, yeah. Fantastic. So when is this uh, back and available for Sunday? She'll come explain. But isn't it great, I think, for us as a church, I just think it's fantastic that Izzy and Josie have both given their times and their hearts to helping refugees, taking slightly different routes to do it, but stirred by God's love to help people who have lost everything. So I think we want to get fully involved, fully behind them. So when you see Izzy, do ask her, and uh, we'll make sure that she comes up here and explains and shares what she's doing. Okay, there's refugees. Let's thank Josie, shall we? Great. Thanks, Josie. Okay, the next two we're going to look at is Baby Cafe and Parenting. And I'm going to hand over to Sarah Soden. She's going to carry on with the interviews. Great. Thanks, Sarah. So first of all, we're going to talk about Baby Cafe. So if Laura and Catherine, if you wouldn't mind coming up. While they come up, just a quick summary that we run a baby cafe um, with, well, with ba- King's Church and Baby Cafe, um, and Catherine is our breastfeeding counsellor and sort of represents um, the NCT. We run that for an hour and a half on a Monday afternoon. It's for mums with tiny babies, and what we try and do is support the mums, um, sort of socially, give them nice coffee and cake, um, but also we have Catherine's expertise there. Um, as a breastfeeding counsellor, and we have a house visitor that comes regularly uh, just to support the mums. Catherine, could I just ask you a couple of questions first? Thank you, Sarah. <laughs> so, Catherine, could you just explain what your role is and how you've come to be involved in our baby cafe? Okay, well, I um, trained to be a breastfeeding counsellor in... I qualified in 2000, which means I've been doing it for nearly 17 years now, trained with the NCT, inspired because I struggled myself. So please don't think that I sailed through it and was smug. It came from a background of struggling and and appreciating the support I'd received. And the Baby Cafe is a a UK network, and in order to get the licence to run a Baby Cafe, you need a qualified person to be the facilitator. Baby Cafe consider a breastfeeding counsellor to be said person, so for my sins. That's, that's what I do. So um, really, Baby Cafe is all about helping to normalise the uh, chaos of new parenting, you know, managing reality versus expectations and where those two worlds clash and collide. And it's also about providing a safe space to say things you might want to say. Do you remember when we had mum a couple of months ago who was just on, teetering on the brink of her PND diagnosis? And she was saying to us, do you know, I really miss those times when it was just me and my husband. You know, and she felt she could say that at Baby Cafe. It was a, a safe and warm and enveloping space. So it's about uh, normalising. It's about helping people on their new parenting journey. And it's also really basically about helping a woman who's in pain, who's struggling, you know? Many of us have been there. And, uh, and it's about tea and cake too, because many of the world's problems can be solved with tea and cake. And Catherine does a great job, really, at heart. Those of you that have been, really... No, I'm, no, I'm going, I've got the mic. I'm going. She does a great job, really, at hold, holding, holding the group. This is mine. I've got the talking stick. 
Um, and, uh, yeah, really holding the group. She's so warm and welcoming to the mums. You know, we do get mums coming in a desperate state, you know, really tearful, with tiny babies, like a week old. And Catherine is the one that holds them, that really is there for them. And we're there with the coffee and cake, but Catherine is the one that is, yeah, you can do this. And then it's so fantastic. You see them coming back next week, and, yeah, they've done it. They're there. And the next week, and they're, they're stronger again. So well done, Catherine. You do a great job. Well, thank Excellent. And now I just want to introduce you to Laura. Some of you know Laura already. She has been one of our mums on Baby Cafe, uh, who've come to Baby Cafe. You had Evelyn just over a year ago, yeah, didn't you? I did, yeah. Take this out. This is better. Um, uh, and so Laura came to Baby Cafe then. Laura, could you just um, say what you got out of Baby Cafe and um, what you're doing now, really, as well? Yeah. Um, hello, everyone. Um, I had my daughter 13 months ago. Yes, I'm here, Ma. Um, and, um, you know, I think a lot of uh, mums kind of know that breastfeeding can be a bit tricky, but you think, oh, I'll just do it and muddle through. And actually, it can be very difficult. Um, and after three weeks of crying all day, every day, and getting very depressed over it, and health professionals telling me, oh, you know, your baby really should be gaining some weight now. And despite feeding her every hour and nothing happening, um, I turned to Catherine for some professional help um, at a point where actually that specialist help is so vital and so important at that time. And to be able to go to somewhere like baby cafe that is welcoming and free um, and tea and cake and has a nice environment you'd feel comfortable to go and ask for that help um, and you're among other people who are in the same position as you um, so I talked to Catherine and described lots of the things that were going on and the problems I was having and, and I thought I'm at this point of just giving up I can't do it um, and Catherine then sent us off and recommended a really lovely clinic. As she, Catherine said, well, actually, it sounds like your baby's tongue-tied. And she picked up on all of that. Um, we took Evelyn, and the clinic actually said, wow, we're really surprised that you've even let, you know, allowed this baby to sustain a good weight and actually get this far without there being any major problems because she was 80% tongue-tied, um, which hadn't been picked up. So... We had it done, the procedure, and she gained a few ounces within a few days, and we're still breastfeeding now 13 months on and never looked back, and we're still loving it. <laughs> um, and without Catherine's help and Baby Cafe, it would have been a massive different story. <laughs> um, so that massively inspired me, and actually through friends who really helped me as well, um, and amongst other mums that have had babies similar time to me and seeing their struggle, that's inspired me to now... Um, help other mums and become a breastfeeding peer supporter and help out at Baby Cafe. So I'm there alongside Catherine, so especially if it's very busy, I'm able to sit and chat to the mums and, you know, have a little bit of knowledge and a little bit of expertise to kind of maybe help work out what's going on and, and a friendly ear. And then I can hand over to Catherine if there's anything major that needs to be dealt with. So, yeah, really works together. We work as a good team. So thank you. And so Laura does a great job. So it is lovely to see Laura come alongside these mums and really, because you've just been there, 
you can say it's okay and you can really empathise. So, um, again, yeah, she does a great job and it's lovely to see. So thank you very much, both of you, for coming up and thank you for all you do for us. Um, so, and then the next bit that I'm going to talk about is just a little bit about um, parenting. As you know, over the years we've done numerous parenting courses um, and we still carry on doing that. But something that we've just been developing over the last uh, six months, well, a couple of years we've been working together, haven't we, um, is with the family support team um, at working out of Tandridge Council. Um, and Keris is here. She is the person that I liaise with um, mostly. Yeah, do come up. Um, and uh, you are our sort of link family support worker, aren't you, who I've mostly dealt with in the last couple of years. Um, so, Keris, could you just explain what your job is, what your role is, and then how we've worked together? Yeah, okay. We, um, I'm based at Tandridge Council, um, Moor Valley and Rygate and Banstead. Um, so it's a joint effort between the three boroughs. Um, we work with families with multiple and complex needs, for about 12 weeks, sometimes a bit longer, depending on how we get on. And my job is to uh, work with the family and then to um, build a team around the family of people who can help them to meet the needs that haven't been met previously. And what's really different about it, I think, is that it's a whole family approach, um, as opposed to individual agencies working with families uh, so, for instance, you could have a drug agency working with one member of the family, but actually um, somebody needs to go in and work with perhaps the parents or see how the siblings are, that sort of thing, so that we can pull it all together and actually get everybody's experience and maybe work with... Um, so, for instance, say a parent is not able to support that child through their issues, and that's why they've ended up turning to drugs then, you know, it could be mental health issues or something, so we get the mental health professional in. And it's about, it's about that, the, a, a team being more effective. Uh, we will then have meetings, two or three meetings, maybe six weeks or eight weeks apart, and then th those meetings can continue without us as key workers for as long as, as is needed. And we, we do work with hard-to-reach families, so it is difficult sometimes to get the results that we would like to have, but we are usually able to make some progress. Yeah. And can you just uh, explain what, how we've been working together in the last okay. couple of years? Okay. Well, when I first started coming to Tandridge, I could see these little posters everywhere saying parenting courses, and I thought, right, I need to speak to these people who are doing this. And I came along and I met Sarah, and we... Um, Sarah was very receptive and very supportive right from the beginning. But like I say, our families are hard to reach. So we had to devise uh, different ways of meeting the needs together. And I've been quite overwhelmed by the support that we've been given. And the fact that um, you've been so willing to change what you do to... And, and it's not different needs, it's increased needs, isn't it? So we've ended up now that... Um, our parents, if we can get them to engage with Sarah, can have one-to-one -one support for six weeks. And it, it's transformative. Um, I heard a long time ago, it only takes one person to believe in you, actually, to make a big difference. And I think that's what I see. And we are very grateful for on my team. Yeah. And interestingly, Keris's team works with refugees as well. Do you want to say a little bit about that? Well, 
because Josie, jo <laughs> Josie did that. Where's Josie over there? Yeah, only that. It's great that Tandridge are now on board. Um, we've just employed someone, or yeah, and, and um, volunteers are needed um, because, like you say, even a trip to Morrison's is extremely daunting. Um, I think it's really overwhelming for people, isn't it? And people, uh, you know, unless you're familiar with it in some way, it's hard to imagine how strange and how difficult it is to do very easy things. Um, so, I, yeah, I would, I would uh, yeah, thanks. And Keris's heart is of compassion. I mean, the way that you work with your families is astounding just the compassion she has for these families and the way that she goes the extra mile really to try and work with each um each family member so thank you so much for all you do for us in our community it's great You all heard that anyway, didn't you? Because my, my mouth is loud enough. Uh, so, um, yeah, the thing about crisscross, I really, rather than going into what the ins and outs of it are, which I think you've probably got a grasp of, Helen Ainsworth is here from St. John's Church in Hurst Green. Because the thing about crisscross is we want this to be an event that the community can uh, be served by, but is put on by different churches in the local area. And uh, so can we just welcome Helen as she comes up? And uh, I just want to ask her a few questions. <laughs> Helen. So, Helen, tell us who you are, which church you're from, and just a little bit about yourself so we get to know you a little bit. Hi, I'm Helen Ainsworth from St. John's Church in Hurst Green. And my children go to Friday Club, um, okay. so they know Claire, and, uh, and my older daughter goes to Impact. So we've had a bit of... Um, connection with the King's Church to that. Um, I became a Christian many, many, many years ago, um, and my husband and I felt God called us to St. John's Church in Hurst Green nearly 13 years ago, and that's where we've been ever since. Okay, fantastic. And your connection with um, Criss Cross as a kind of event? So um, I'm going to be praying for it this year, and I'm, going to, I'm trying to sort of encourage my daughter's friends to come along. And next year, um, Claire's asked me to help run it. I'm not able to this year. Okay. And were you involved last year at the kind of I, 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 was, I was aware it was happening, but I was in America on holiday, so uh, I was okay. praying from there. Okay, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't there. Okay. So maybe the whole thing, maybe then, Helen, just about um, churches working together to be able to deliver something, a, a project or a kids club like this, uh, that can serve uh, uh, the community. Just, just any thoughts of yours on that? So I think... It's good for 
Well, first of all, we're called to use our gifts, aren't we, to serve the community, and, and that's what you're doing, and that's what we in our church try to do too. I think the, the community out there is very aware of the differences between different church groups, and not so much about how we serve the same God and how we love the same Jesus and how actually that means we love each other. And by you reaching out in this way, I'm hoping it means you can get to know us and, and people in our church can get to know you and we can understand each other better and it can be visible to the wider community that we're aiming to do one thing. Um, so I think by focusing on what we've got in common, which is Jesus and, and helping to get others to get to know him, I'm hoping others will just see that. And it, and it says in John, um, by your love for each other, people will know that we are God's disciples. And that's what I'm hoping for. Fantastic. So while we've got you here then in that kind of... What, is there anything in particular we can be praying for you as a local church community for at this moment? I wasn't wondering about I that didn't, question. I didn't know you see that. It's, it's I good, just slid that one in there. It's oh, a good yeah. question. Um, the, the church we are at has a congregation that's got quite a lot of elderly people who like things done in a very traditional way um, but it's also um, reaching out to more younger families and and it, it's quite difficult to kind of have a, a way of being church that doesn't alienate in anyone and includes everyone so I think we're doing quite well but um, God's definitely on it he's definitely put a heart of unity in and actually the theme for spring harvest this year is unity and we, some of us went there so i think just that would be great if we could to, for our congregation to be united as well as being united with other. it's not that it's divided it's really not but it's um it's hard work great well helen it's great i mean I, we wouldn't be able to do crisscross in the way that you know we would love and think god wants it to be done without the help of other churches and other christians so I think it's fantastic that we can do it together. Amazing to think that, you know, in, in a number of weeks' time, this room, please God, will be filled with 50 children uh, all hearing about Jesus and are being served in that way by lots of different Christians, lots of different churches from this area. So well done. Thank you. And uh, yeah, thank you for coming today and answering my questions, especially the last one I just slipped in there. Let's give Helen a warm round of applause. Thanks, Helen. Brilliant. Okay, are you all still with me? Yes. Great. So we're on the last one, would you believe, which is the Winter Night Shelter, which is on the back of, uh, of uh, this page. And so I'm going to invite up Alice, and if Anne wants to come as well, I don't mind uh, if you want to do one of you, two of you, whatever. But Alice and Anne, it's going to be Alice, I think. Okay. So let's give Alice a warm welcome, shall we? So, so... Alice, tell us something of yourself, and then tell us something about how this Winter Night Shelter ministry started, and then maybe tell us a few stories. Oh, now Is that's that a lot right? to remember. Um, can I just ask Anne to stand up? I'm holding on to my phone because Anne is my right-hand woman. You might sit down. Thank you. Um, <laughs> she is my right-hand woman. I am really, really, really rubbish at faces and remembering things. So she remembers things for me. So I wasn't typing a text during the uh, chat and everything, but just some of the things that people were talking about, it was just so absolutely right and mm. so exciting because I didn't kind of know you were doing these things. And just 
so many of the things you were talking about. I work with um, people from Tandridge and Rygate and Banstead. Anyone can come to our drop-in. All of you would be welcome. And you'd probably be no more wonky than the other people who are there. Um, I'm one too. Um, but it's really to support people who need support in the community. Lots of them have been homeless or are what we call daytime homeless. That's elderly people, mostly men, who haven't really got a support network. And so they've got nowhere to go during the day. Um, so they just come and be with us. Mm. That sounds a bit grim. But um, I like play and I like fun. And I we have several naughty corners because people get a bit cheeky. And it's always against me. I don't know why. I mean, I'm such a sensible person. I just don't see what happens. Um, but this is really crucial because you're going to become involved with the Winter Night Shelter. I know. I'm really excited about that. I'm going to run a very special training course just for you lot um, in your own space. Um, but you can come to all the others as well. And that's great. And go out and practice. It's really good because, as, oh darn, it's turned itself off. The person, I know, this one. You, um, Nick, hey, 10 points to me. Uh, thank you. I do love You points. don't get points for getting it wrong first time. <laughs> you you, you know. No, oh, 24. Oh. All right, go on then. Okay. Um, Nick was talking about people being unable to read. And although we have highly educated people who fall off the ladder and get to be homeless, we also have a lot of people who are not very good at reading or for reading is an issue. So if you can help Nick to get so they don't come through to us in you know, decades' time, that's great because if people are without those skills, then coming to us, when they have these stupid forms mm. and medical forms, which I find difficult, well, okay, I'm not that bright, but you know, they're really difficult and they ask really tricky questions and we help people fill those in and if we can stop some of that we haven't had refugees um, from Syria but we have had people who have come from other nations mm. who have found themselves homeless mm, very good have I, I think, answered one of the questions no let, yes, let, I'll tell you what, let me fire some questions at Go you on. very good so when did you how long ago did you start the winter night shelter it was begun as a prototype about six years ago um, what happened was a certain council, not yours, said that there was no homelessness in Redhill. My predecessor, Ian, was somewhat surprised because the number of people who were turning up at Hope 2540, named after Matthew's Gospel, inasmuch as you do this for these are my brothers and mm. sisters, all those things, meeting people where they're at. Um, so Ian thought, Ian had a lot of language. Oh, blow, he thought. I will start a winter night shelter. And this was in around about September. And everyone said, you can't do that, you can't do that. But God was there. Well, obviously, he's always there. We mm. all know that. But he was so there because we need mattresses. And um, Ian said, well, where do I get mattresses from? So he rang someone in the police. So they said, well, if you can pick them up today, because it just so happens we changing the mattresses at a certain police area. And he said, oh, well, that's going to be a tricky thing. So he rang a friend in the council, so I need a van and a man. And he said, well, as long as you need it today, because someone hasn't turned up for a job. Mm. And it just everywhere. Mm, and it just good. gives me goosebumps. But I can tell you from, I came in and right at the beginning as, um, please do volunteer. Don't listen to the next bit. 
Um, in one of the prototypes, one of the first evenings, I had agreed, because I'd been homeless, and it was a surprise to me. I, I speak nicely. I've got a bit of education. I was married and had a family and a home, and I thought I had pensions and all sorts. And it was a big surprise to find myself homeless. Mm. Um, I was very blessed that I had friends who had a spare room. So I was what they call sofa surfing. But um, when later on this charity turned up, I thought, I'll go. And I steeled myself. Because although I'd been homeless, I expected them to look scary and be a bit smelly and um, horrible, to be honest. Mm. Um, I was such an idiot. I, mean, <laughs> I don't know why people tease me. Um, but, you know, if, you, if my guys are in here, there are two who really haven't had a shower for a while because they are living in a shed. Um, but everybody else, you wouldn't spot it and you mm. wouldn't know with them. They're just in a pickle. Mm. And I have an addictive nature. I have to be really careful not to eat all the biscuits. I have to be really careful to stop working because I love the work I do. So I'm always fighting with my addictions and I can really relate to people who have an addictive nature. Mm. And that's why we like chocolate. Mm. And so I put my hand up for chocolate. How many people over the six years, roughly, do you think you have served at the winter night shelter? Roughly, ballpark figure. Whether it's one night or six weeks or 12 weeks. Pass. Um, we have a limited number of people we can take in. And I will take... Um, only people who are suitable because I don't want my volunteers or their premises to be in a bad state. Mm. So we don't take anyone who's violent towards women. Um, and also the people who come in have to agree to the rules, which is not to be too grim. Um, around about 25 a year, I'm looking for confirmation while I try not to sneeze. Um, about 25 over the 12 weeks because some people are there the whole time yeah um others come but we that's the shelter but going back to the drop-in which runs all year round that supports people who have been homeless or are homeless or are in a pickle this last week we had a greek who arrived at gatwick and then that right you remember the rain yeah, he was out in that. So um, he ended up at East Surrey. They brought him to us. We, he didn't really speak much English, and Karimala doesn't really cut it after the mm. third time. Um, and we got him up. We, we don't have money, but we gave him money. We bought him a ticket up to the embassy. We had um, a Polish chap who's actually living in Tandridge who we supported, and we also had a, another person who was home, just three, they get directed to us all year round. Mm. Um, we haven't any accommodation, because only when we have the floating shelter do we have anything. But um, we do know who to send them to, and we can give, we get, have lunch, and we have biscuits and sweets, and as much tea and coffee and biscuits and sweets as you can eat, and a proper lunch we cook with whatever we're given. Right. Okay, so the drop-in runs all year round. Mm -hmm. Lots of... I mean, I should imagine you're into hundreds of people over the six years. Have hundreds come in through you, been directed on, been helped there in the moment, or directed to where they can get help 
Both. By someone else. And then once a year for 12 weeks, you get different churches to put on a winter night shelter so that 8, 10, 12 people, men and women, won't have to be sleeping out rough over the worst times weather-wise. You can Is have that 10 right? points for that. Very good. Thank you. Good. <laughs> Tell us a story of someone's life who has been changed, touched, helped by the drop-in or the winter night shelter. One person, one story. Rare moments of silence, I feel. It would be very easy to talk about Jason because Jason's very upfront about it. Jason um, is an alcoholic, and so he would... I don't talk about people behind their backs, but as he would be quite happy to stand up here and tell mm. you, he has had quite a complicated life. He's done well in his life, and he's had some real issues, and alcohol was always teetering, and it sneaked in and sneaked out. Um, he ended up really in a bad space. He came to us on shelter. We don't take drunks into shelter. Jason was dry when he started, and don't listen to this next bit. But if we know someone, and if we know they're a quiet drunk, or a sleepy drunk, we might just let them in and not put them on the streets during shelter. And yeah, of course we didn't do that. Um, but we kept showing him love and love and love. And two things happened with him. One was he was at Christ Church South Nutfield, one of your Tandridge churches. And that's a church a bit like yours. It's sort of, although you don't worship there, it, it, the church is in the hall. It's all joined up. And he heard the singing. And he was like, whoa. And so anyhow, they went through and they went and saw band and it was not church as he understood it. Um, and this was the beginning of seeds. Jason had some real fallings off and ended up living behind um, St. Matthew's Church with his uh, 10 green bottles, and they're white bottles of vodka, aren't they? Um, but he ended up getting housed and he is clean and he is dry. And he, through the churches, one of them was St. Luke's Rygate, and he was just taken up with that. And he's getting um, confirmed this July. Wow, okay, wow. Um, he's in his late 40s. Um, he's still very much a seeker. He still has, well, anyone who's an addict is an addict for life. It's an mm. illness. But he is doing that. I just want to, I know you said one, I never keeps the rules. But just going back to somebody else, um, my predecessor had said about this one person, don't let them in to drop in. He's a complete, and he's messed up, and all of this, and all of this. Um, well, I like to give everyone their chance with me, because I'm not somebody else. Well, this guy was quite young, and he was on social, he's got all kinds of issues. He's been homeschooled because he had issues. He was very badly bullied, and um, it turned out nobody had really ever listened to him. And I want to talk to you about him a bit because about the parenting things. If they'd had the parenting options that Keris was offering, then it's probable that he would never have ended up with us. Mm. If he had had a bit more support from what Nick's looking at, he'd have probably never, because he's really, really bright. But he has sofa surfed through his teens and his early 20s, and he's had some loose drug, not addiction, but you know, he smokes a bit of weed and he does a bit of stuff and he parties a bit. But because he came to us and because we 
looked after him, and I'm very firm, and tell him, you know, not just get in a naughty corner, but he really says, we changed his life, I mean, Jason says it, and others, because he, when he was getting his social, because he'd never had a birth certificate he knew about, or passport, or anything, he could only get his social sent to somebody else. So he'd have to go every two weeks down to East Surrey Hospital where this person worked, and it'd come into their hole in the wall, and the guy would give him most of his social. Um, so that meant he couldn't break even anywhere. And it's finding out these things through the drop-in, which supports the night shelter, and people finding out there's other people and other people there, because I really want everyone to be a team. So the other drop-inners who know more than I do, they share that. And it's what you're talking about, community. And helping people who don't understand supermarkets or debt or any of these things. It's, it's all of us working together to further Christ's work, to make it... Thy kingdom come now and here. And that's what I do. Amen. Well, and Alice, let's give a round of applause. Very good. Very good. Okay, I just want to say a few words. Um, you know, I, I do want to say thank you to everybody uh, who's uh, come along and shared this morning, just giving us a glimpse really, into your world and uh, how you uh, serve. I, I, I was thinking about this morning, I came up with this Bible verse, or it was the one that I felt God highlighted to me from Mark 10, 45. I think it will come up on the screen behind me. This is Jesus speaking about himself. The Son of Man was Jesus' favorite way of referring to himself. And Jesus said this, For even the Son of Man, he's saying, even, even me, even Jesus, even I, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life or my life as a ransom for many. What is serving? You know, serving is about doing good for the benefit of someone else, motivated by simply doing them good. It's not about getting a personal reward or a benefit. Whether you're paid or voluntary doesn't make a difference. People who are paid, it's just to enable their time to serve. The heart attitude needs to be the same. It is that I, I want to do you good. I want to benefit you in some way. And so I want to say to any of those who serve, however you serve, whether you're in church or outside of the church, then well done. Well done. Well done for the things that you do that maybe go unseen and unnoticed. Lots of things happen inside the church and outside the church that nobody notices. Many of you wouldn't know that Eddie and Annie over the last few weeks have been serving a couple of families in our community who have fallen on hard times. I know it, but lots of you wouldn't know it. But the truth is that there's lots of things that go on unseen, unnoticed. I'm sure teachers in the school, people in the family support team, things just one-to-one -one conversations, kindnesses that make a difference. But I want you to know this, God sees everything. God sees absolutely everything. Why do people serve? It's a question I why do people serve? I think the reason is because God made people and he made them in his image and therefore we all have something of the characteristics of God about us. 
And because he is a God who serves. In other words, because he's a God who genuinely does things for the benefit and good of others, then the outcome is that there is something in the heart, the very makeup, the very DNA of people that make them want to serve, that move them to serve. It's just many don't realize that kind of innate driver that is in everybody to serve actually comes from the fact that we are created and made by God in his image. And we know that God serves because of this verse. See, it says, it says that he sent Jesus. He sent Jesus, his son, to serve. And, you know, no one serves the thing that is, nobody sends the thing that is most precious to them. In this case, God the Father sending his one and only son. You only send your one and only son to serve people if you yourself have a heart to serve people. And this verse, it says, Jesus says, you know, even I came not to be served, but to serve. The inference by Jesus is, look, I am God's one and only son, and he sent me to serve. The inference is, therefore, everybody, everybody gets to serve. Everybody is called to serve. How did Jesus serve? Well, firstly, you know, he did lots of stuff, like he healed the sick. That's how he served the sick. He healed them. He raised the dead. I mean, that's not bad, is it? If you're dead and Jesus raises you, he's just served you pretty well. You know, there's lots of incidents in the Bible when there are people for all manner of reasons, who were not in their right mind. They were out of their right minds. They couldn't think straight, couldn't act straight, did crazy, stupid things that hurt themselves. And, you know, Jesus put them back in their right minds so that they were able to function. Can you imagine how our community of Tandridge would be if Jesus were walking amongst us today? The, the waiting list in the health centre and the doctor's surgery would seriously go down. Imagine if the social services and the, the health officials and the mental health professionals and the addiction professionals actually found that there were a whole range of people they were dealing with who had suddenly met Jesus and from being out of their right minds were now in their right minds and were able to live and function and do all the things that they needed to be able to do. You know, if you read the accounts of Jesus' life, that's what he basically did. He spent his days going around serving people at their point of need for their benefit and their good and telling them who God was, what the kingdom of God was like and why he was serving them. That's basically what Jesus did. If you don't believe me, open your Old Testament and read the accounts of what he did. And the joy, of course, is that that is the job that he has given to us, his church. That's the job that he's given to us in every generation, in every place, it's why I believe serving the community is not an optional extra for us as a local church. It's not something that we can take or leave. It's something that is right in the heart of God and therefore needs to be right in the heart of us. And secondly and ultimately, although Jesus served in those ways, benefited people in those cool ways, actually there was something much more fundamental that this verse tells us. It says, ultimately Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for many. See, ultimately, Jesus served us. He did something for our benefit by paying the price for sin 
so that you and I could be forgiven. The things that we do wrong, the things we say wrong, the times that we've lived in rebellion to God, the times when we haven't done what we know God would have wanted us to do or say, if you wrap all that up together and label it sin, all that is what Jesus came to pay the price for. It's like that rebellion, that living actively ignoring him. Those things, they act like a hostage taker. It's like we're taken captive by them. It's like they imprison us. And then they say, now I've got you imprisoned. I'm going to demand a ransom price to be set free. But the problem is that we as prisoners, we don't have the ransom price. We don't have enough to be able to pay it. We end up in this terrible position. In order to be forgiven by God, we need to pay a price. But we don't have the ability to pay. And so the Bible says that Jesus came, laid down his life, died on the cross. That was the ransom price. That was the figure, if you like. That was the cost that had to be paid in order for you and I to have our sins forgiven, that debt to be paid off. And that's how Jesus has served you and me. He has paid a debt that we could never pay ourselves. He didn't need to pay it. We couldn't force him to pay it. He didn't do it for what he could get out of it. He did it for our good, for our benefit. He served us. He laid down his life so that you and I could be forgiven and reconciled back to God. And I believe that he did that out of love for us. And therefore, out of love, we should serve him. And actually, out of that love for him, we should serve other people as well. So I want to say, well done if you serve other people in any capacity. I want you to know this. Whether you're a Christian or not, every time you serve another person, do something for their good or benefit, you are following in the footsteps of Jesus. You are following in the footsteps of Jesus. He sees it all. Every word, every action, so well done. But I also want to say to you, don't miss the opportunity to personally get to know him, to personally get to know Jesus. He is the one who laid down his life for you, and he did that because he loves you and he wants to know you. I'm going to pray, and then we'll have one more worship song, then we're going to end. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you served us and you were prepared to lay down your rights and your comfort and to die on the cross so that we might be forgiven. I thank you that you've put that kind of heart of service within people. And I thank you for every person here who serves another person in any way, in any shape, does anything for their good and their benefit. I want to thank you that that pleases your heart. And I pray that if there is anybody here who doesn't know you, that even this morning, even right now, even as we worship this next song, would you please come and speak afresh into their lives and into our lives. We just stand in awe of who you are and what you've done and what you achieved on the cross. We thank you, Jesus, for your glory. Amen. Amen. Why don't we worship and then uh, I'll say a few words and we're going to end. Thanks, Tim.